This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday, September 22nd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us for the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. It's the final Noon Business Hour of the summer. That's because autumn arrives at 8.04 this evening. Gambling revenue in Illinois hitting new highs. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, reports on the leading indicators and jobless claims are out as we dive just the latest interest rate hike by the Fed. We're joined by Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG in Chicago. Diane, thanks for joining us today. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, report on the leading indi- uh, economic indicators, which uh, r- indicate that the economy is slowing down. It is slowing, and the most important issue is that even though we had two negative quarters in the first quarter, domestic demand held up relatively well. Now, as we move into the summer and into the fall, we're starting to see a slowdown in domestic demand. And what's important about that is that is in part what the Federal Reserve is trying to achieve. Um, Unfortunately, the idea and concept of an elusive soft landing for the U.S. economy has now been pretty much abandoned. What we saw yesterday was the Federal Reserve make the commitment yet again to do whatever is necessary to derail the inflation that we're at and not stop until the job is done. That's something that Jay Powell actually said point blank. And they, you know, are starting to rip away some of the sugar coating of their forecasts as well, now showing an increase in the unemployment rate and much higher and more rapid increases in interest rates in the near term. And what's important from the Federal Reserve's perspective is that even though we've had a lot of interest rate increases, and this is one of the most fastest rate hiking cycles we've seen on record, the Fed, from the Fed's perspective, and Jay Powell was very careful about underscoring this yesterday, they have just crossed the line of what they believe some others think it's still too low, but what they believe is from neutral monetary policy, that one which does not accelerate or decelerate inflationary pressures to one that is now more restrictive and starting to sort of chip away at inflation, what they worry to be a more entrenched inflation in the U.S. economy. Jobless claims ticking up to 213,000, but uh, the average is still uh, below the uh, pre-pandemic record that was set in 2019. Is the job market, uh, can it defy gravity forever? It can't defy gravity forever, but it is now one of the many things that is 
sort of adding to this imbalance between demand and supply in the economy that is giving us inflation. And that's a hard part, place to be. Part of that imbalance is becoming because we have staffing shortages due to so many people out sick each month. But we also are seeing, even though quit rates have come off the record highs we saw earlier this year, they're still extremely elevated. We're still generating a lot of new paychecks every month. That usually would be a good thing, but it's not a good thing if it actually adds to cost pressures to the point that everything that people gain in their wages are eroded by inflation. And sadly, that's where the Federal Reserve believes we are now. And they need to see an increase, not only a decrease in the demand for workers, but an increase in the supply of workers, which is part of what they actually showed in their forecast for subpar economic growth. That means the economy doesn't grow enough to accommodate all those people looking for a job. And they showed an increase in the unemployment rate as well. Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, an update on tax revenue from gambling in Illinois. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Gambling revenue in Illinois dipped a bit during the pandemic, but now it's setting new records. Let's get the latest from Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Bob, thanks for joining us this afternoon. What difference does gambling make for Illinois bottom line? Well, it's a big difference for it. If you take a look at how much sports betting has contributed last year, it was about $92 million. That's a lot of money for a state budget that needs all the help it can get. You know, uh, in terms of gross revenues, Illinois is like the fourth state to generate more than $1 billion in sports betting revenue. Uh, That means that it is uh, starting to look like it could take over Pennsylvania and give New Jersey and Nevada a run for the money. One of the reasons for this is that it's more accessible now. You're able to place more sports bets more more easily than you could before. Uh, and in addition, as you mentioned, you know, there is a, a rebound with the casinos. They're starting to see more traffic. Uh, it's not as good as it was before the pandemic, but it's picking up. All of that is leading to more uh, sports gaming online. The uh, gambling bill and the legalized cannabis bills uh, were both signed into law uh, at the end of 2019, taking effect at the beginning of 2020, and no one could have anticipated uh, the level of economic disruption that happened uh, just in the weeks and months after uh, sports gambling was legalized. In fact, the first legal sports bet in Illinois was placed on Monday in that week in March of 2020, and everything shut down by Friday. Um, does the, uh, the the amount of money Illinois is bringing in from sports gambling does that uh, surprise even uh, state officials who uh, didn't who who didn't really buy the uh, most optimistic of forecasts about uh, how much money gambling could bring in? Uh, oddly enough, it is uh, right in line with projections, but the projections were fairly robust, and it is beginning to exceed the projections, at least in terms of the uh, amount of gross betting that's been going on. Uh, what they're keeping an eye on now is what the expansion of gaming is going to mean. You know, none of these numbers takes into account the fact that you have more casinos coming online downstate. You're going to have a big casino coming online in Chicago. On top of that, you have the proliferation of the sports betting uh, books. Uh, They're doing a lot of advertising. They're doing a lot of incentives. And so as a result, you've got big players like FanDuel and DraftKings and BetRivers. You know, they're really bringing in the money and they're bringing in the players. 
Interestingly enough, one of the big bets that takes place on sports betting are these parlays where you can make multiple bets uh, on multiple events within a game and such. That's like 56% of all the betting that's going on. And there's a lot of micro betting, too, where you bet a little bit of money, but you bet it a lot uh, uh, more often than not. And that racks up the numbers, too. Not too long ago, uh, you know, the state went uh, several years without a budget. Uh, there were many dire projections about how the state uh, doesn't have uh, two pennies to rub together. There were credit rating downgrades. How much of a difference does this make in, turn of, in terms of just like shoring up the state's fiscal picture on a permanent basis? Well, this is uh, taxed at a 15% flat rate for the state, and I think it's 2% for Cook County. That money is uh, designated for new infrastructure uh, building. So that means bridges, roads, and such. It can be leveraged, and that money can be multiplied and used uh, over time. So that's pretty much a, if not a fixed amount, that's a certain amount of money that the state can count on in terms of doing infrastructure. The other gaming uh, revenues are supposed to go toward education and such. They have softened over the years, but still it's, it's a fair amount of money coming in. So the state is increasingly dependent on uh, legalized gaming, and that's one of the reasons Pritzker uh, pushed to pass this bill in 2019, even over some opposition of people who are afraid that uh, this extent of gambling is going to lead to some social problems. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, the city of Chicago looks to boost the downtown housing market. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Lightfoot administration is offering subsidies in an effort to bring more residential units to the loop. Let's discuss the strategy with Danny Ecker, reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thanks for joining us today. Not too long ago, you were on the program and we were talking about uh, the problems faced by the owners of some older office buildings in the loop. We're talking 1920s and 1930s vintage buildings uh, that will simply be left high and dry uh, as uh, as some office work returns, but not all. And uh, is the city of Chicago thinking of riding to the rescue of some of these uh, particular properties that uh, may not make it as office buildings anymore? Yeah, there's a big issue that the city is trying to tackle here, which is that especially along LaSalle Street in the heart of the loop where some of these older buildings are, there's just been a you know, decamping of, of a lot of companies over the years, um, over the last few years uh, to other trendier parts of downtown. And, uh, you know, the question is, are, will those survive as office buildings? Well, the city is basically saying, look, we want to incentivize developers to potentially turn these into residential buildings complete with uh, a decent amount of affordable housing. So what the city is uh, uh, offering here is to use uh, tax increment financing or TIF, uh, as well as some other incentive programs to say, hey, developers, we're going to help you, but we want to see at least 30% of the units that you're going to build here uh, as affordable housing. And the goal is to make uh, a thousand, at least a thousand new residential units in the loop over the next five years. Now, when we talk about uh, downtown housing, I mean, maybe for uh, very generous purposes here, uh, we're talking about maybe a, a stretch of land that runs from 18th Street to North Avenue and potentially out to Ashland, uh, close to the Central Business District. Um, how is that level of real estate demand holding up? Did all the people who, who left in 2020, did they come back? 
You know, it's a really interesting question to think about where the demand is coming from, but it's there in a big way. Uh, apartment demand uh, in the central business district has been uh, well above now for some time, well above pre-pandemic levels. Uh, I think a lot of it was people that definitely let leases expire when you couldn't really go and do anything in the city for a while there early in the pandemic. And maybe they live somewhere else or they live perhaps young workers that moved back in at home with their parents and then they've moved back to the city. So some of that demand is coming from there. But that's what makes this you know, a more palatable type of uh, prospect that the city sees is there's a lot of demand for apartments in the city right now. There hasn't historically been in the heart of the loop. But the goal is to restore vibrancy, to restore foot traffic to the core of, of, the, of downtown. And, you know, if you can add residential units to do it, uh, then the city will say, well, that'll help, uh, um, you know, get, get address a lot of the problems that we're trying to fix downtown right now. That also means uh, bringing in amenities to uh, places like LaSalle and Jackson or LaSalle and Van Buren that are used to shutting down at five o'clock at night and making sure that you have restaurants and bars and stores available to serve the people who would be living in these uh, office-turned apartment buildings. Right. There was actually a panel that the city commissioned uh, earlier this year that put out a recommendation to say, hey, I think that the city should use uh, TIF money and public subsidy to try to help with residential conversions. But we also need to add things like more cafes and restaurants, maybe grocery stores, rethinking LaSalle Street as not sort of what it was for you know most of a century, which is this financial district, uh, but to make it more pedestrian friendly, maybe even close off the southern block of LaSalle at Jackson uh, to uh, to just you know to vehicle traffic just so it's a, a public plaza something that just makes foot traffic more uh, likely in that part of the city and that's I think what what the city is hoping to do and you know also ride in the wave of Google at the Thompson Center that that could be coming over the next few years and hoping that will uh, also help restore some of that so this is a, a big goal but it's uh, this is probably the most impactful thing we've seen Lightfoot try to do since the pandemic started to restore vibrancy in the loop. Danny Ecker, reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, using virtual reality to help patients better deal with surgery. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Rachel Pearson. A judge blocks Indiana's abortion ban one week after it took effect. Russians protest the calling up of reservists to take part in the invasion of Ukraine. Technology Thursday, researchers use virtual reality to help improve outcomes for surgical patients. A solid credit score can have a positive impact on multiple areas of your finances. We'll discuss ways to 
improve it. WBBM business, the markets are lower, but not by much. The Dow is down 40 points. The NASDAQ is down 150. The S&P 500 is down 24. Uh, the AccuWeather forecast for today, breezy, cooler, sunshine, a high of just 63. We have 62 degrees right now at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, just one week after it went into effect, the judge has blocked Indiana's abortion ban. The story from WBBM's Rachel Pearson. Indiana's abortion ban is now on hold after clinic operators claimed it violated the state constitution. The ban was previously approved by the state's Republican majority legislature on August 5th and signed by Governor. Governor Eric Holcomb. But Owen County Judge Kelsey Hanlon issued a preliminary injunction saying the state's constitution doesn't allow such a significant restriction of personal autonomy and that the clinics will likely prevail in the lawsuit. The state was the first to enact tighter abortion restrictions since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. That's the story from Indiana. Many Russians are showing their anger at Vladimir Putin's decision to mobilize thousands of additional troops for the war in Ukraine. Some are protesting while others are leaving the country. This is John Kirby of the National Security Council. It's become much harder for him to keep the truth from the Russian people. A mobilization was something that we know he wasn't looking forward to having to do because there's no way to hide it anymore, uh, that they are struggling and that they need additional manpower. The German government has announced it will take in deserters from Russia. The noon business hour continues at 1232, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red, but not by much. We're joined by Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Service and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter. Chuck, thanks for joining us once again today. Looking back on the market performance from yesterday, there wasn't much that came out of the Federal Reserve meeting that uh, constituted a surprise. Everybody was anticipating the 75 basis point hike. Uh, Everybody was anticipating more hawkish rhetoric from the Fed. And yet, uh, markets nosedive in the last hour of trading. Uh, Why did investors react the way that they did yesterday afternoon yeah it was a strange day because uh, as you as you said the market just turned down horribly in the the last hour and i think there was kind of a realization set in that i think up to this point people have been kind of saying okay uh, yeah we hear this hawkish talk from the fed hawkish talk from the fed and and from not just powell but but other fed members but you know that's just jawboning well i i think it the realization is setting in that the fed isn't job owning as much as they really want to drive down uh, asset prices and, and drive down inflation at, at the same time. And that means that they are pretty serious about these rate hikes and that the rate hikes are going to continue. I, the other issue, too, is I think people started to kind of evaluate the the, the, the dot plot line and, and saw that, you know, we may be looking at 46 4.7%. Um, on some of the rates uh, that the Fed controls, and and that I think really started to spook the market. But I think it was, again, a realization that well, and these guys do actually are going to do what they say, and uh, that's that's not good for stocks in the near term. If you look at the uh, history of both the uh, federal funds rate and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and heck, let's throw in the S&P 500 for good measure, there hasn't been a great deal of correlation between market performance and interest rate hikes over time. Uh, The Fed hiked interest rates in the early 90s. They did it again in the middle of the 2000s, and uh, the markets didn't go down appreciably. The growth continued. Why is market performance correlated to interest rates this time around compared to previous rate hiking cycles? I think it's the magnitude of the, of the increases and the speed. You know, keep in mind, 
you know, back at the beginning of this year, you know, some of the treasury, you know, one year treasury was probably well under one, one percent. And, and now you're looking at close to 4%. So while the absolute number, you know, isn't, isn't outrageous versus history, it's just this, this acceleration and the prospects for, for even more acceleration in rates that I think is really, um, that has really hurt the market. And, and the other kind of thing lingering here that you didn't see in past rate hikes is the specter of inflation is this notion of, uh, you know, before the fed would raise rates, you know, to try to control an overheated economy to bring that back, back, you know, back in line. Now you've got this whole issue of, of inflation that they're trying to control. And, you know, the fear of the market, obviously, is you get into a stagflation period where, you know, interest rates are sky high and it's not working to bring inflation down. And now you have, the, the worst of all possible worlds. And that's really what the market is facing right now. I know uh, economists and people who analyze the markets are not in the happy endings business, but uh, let's talk about uh, a, a best case scenario for how this ends. The Fed breaks the back of inflation. What does the economy look like on the other side? Yeah, that's, well, again, that's, that's, that's important to see if, you know, are they going to have to just tank the economy um, or is it the idea that they can have engineer a soft landing while bringing inflation down? My guess is, you know, there's probably going to be, especially given how the Dow Jones transportation average has been behaving, which is a, a good uh, barometer for future economic activity, it hasn't been behaving very well. And that kind of points to the fact that, you know, I think this, this soft landing idea is becoming less and less likely, and you're probably going to get a, a more difficult economic period going through here. Um, if, in fact, inflation does come down and we have to go through kind of a tough economic period, then I think you're back on more of a regular economic cycle where, yeah, you're probably going to see earnings suffer for probably three or four quarters, but then earnings estimates or earnings uh, comparisons will get easier and you'll start to see the market kind of resume an upward move prior to a real rebound in the economy. But um you know, we're probably a little ways away from all that happening right now. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, employing virtual reality in a surgical setting. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday and scientists are researching the value of virtual reality as a way to improve outcomes for people undergoing surgery. Let's learn what it's all about from Matt Wren, the co-founder and chief tech officer of Bundle AR based in Chicago. Matt, thanks for joining us today. This is fascinating, uh, this field of science we're talking about here, and that uh, patients can use virtual reality to what? Distract them from uh, the procedure that's going on so they don't feel what's happening or you don't need to apply nearly as much anesthesia as you would? Thank you for having me back, Rob. Um, yeah, you know, the funny thing is this is not a new idea. This is the, I think the first time I personally remember seeing this idea was back around 2017. And there was a video on YouTube. I think it was called VR vaccine where they were using virtual reality, Samsung gear VR headsets to play this little cartoon when like a child would get a vaccine shot. And it was, a, yes, it, it was a way of distracting them because they were seeing something in VR and what was happening in VR would kind of interact with what was happening to them in real life, you know, with the, the little cotton swab on the arm and the actual shot. And it was a distraction. And the kids actually came out of getting vaccines 
you know, entertained and considering it a fun experience as opposed to going in, kicking and screaming and being completely afraid of what was happening. It's also very similar to uh, what they have at modern dentists' offices where uh, uh, if you're going through a cleaning or if you're a child uh, having a procedure done, uh, you can watch a movie while it's happening so you're not really thinking about what's going on and the, and the medical side of what's happening. Uh, a lot of grown-up dentists' offices as well uh, have the same thing. I remember watching uh, episodes of Seinfeld uh, as I was having a dental procedure done a couple of years ago, but having a a VR headset on or glasses on and having a fully immersive experience, uh, that's got to be something else because that takes you entirely out of the office, as it were. Exactly. And there's definitely the distraction factor. And ultimately, you know, being somewhere else, I mean, they can talk all day about why it works, but the the results are there. People were using, you know, they, they were requiring less anesthetic. They were recovering faster after the surgery. So the results showed that it actually worked. And, you know, whether it was, are they distracted? Are they just in a more mindful state because they were watching, a, you know, a yoga or a, a meditation app? It's, it's absolutely taking them sort of away from the stressful experience of being in an actual surgical suite and looking, you know, at your hand having surgery, I guess, was the one that was the, the current use case. And then on, on top of the, the cost-saving side, you know, the, the, the anesthesia and the other sedatives and, and things that are designed to uh, numb the experience, that costs money. And uh, maybe a $200 VR headset uh, could save you thousands of dollars in the long run. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it comes down to two things. Number one is cost savings, and that's obviously the immediate cost savings of using less drugs and getting them out of the hospital faster. But there's also you know, better patient outcomes ultimately result in the long-term cost savings as well. If the patient, you know, uses VR or AR to understand what's happening to them or to, you know, use less anesthetic or get out of the, get out of the surgical suite faster, then ultimately if they're, you know, treated faster and they're treated better and they don't have to come back for follow-up procedures, it's, it's a cost savings in the long run as well. Where are we right now as far as the research is concerned? Uh, I believe there was a study that was done just recently uh, with Beth Israel that basically shows that using the VR versus not using the VR, they used less anesthetic and they recovered faster. Now, I think the next study is they're going to try to figure out exactly, you know, was that a placebo effect that the people who knew they were going to be in VR were just going to, you know, they kind of went in more calm. So they're, they're going to try and study if it was a placebo effect or not, but they have they do have the results that showed that the people who had the VR versus those who didn't actually use less drugs and recovered faster. Matt Wren, co-founder and chief tech officer of Bundle AR based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come, tips to improve your credit score. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A quality credit score can be an important financial tool. Let's get some insight from Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. Uh, One day after the Fed announced it was raising uh, interest rates once again, and in this higher rate environment, a a higher credit score, I should say, could save you a lot of money in the long run. Your credit score really is one of the most important numbers in your financial life. It's going to go a long way towards determining whether or not you're approved for loans and lines of credit, and if so, what rates you're charged. And sometimes there is a really big gap, especially on something like a mortgage. Even a quarter point or half point, that can really add up over many years on a large loan amount. 
And then uh, even on, uh, on, on basic uh, credit card purchases, though, uh, if you're carrying that balance, uh, the amount of money you uh, pay over time to pay that balance down uh, goes up considerably if your credit score is lower as interest rates get higher. Absolutely. And that minimum payment math is already brutal. Like even at the national average, which today is a little over 18 percent, which is the highest since the mid 90s, if you have the average credit card debt, which is $5,270, according to TransUnion, if you only make minimum payments, you're going to be in debt for more than 16 years and you're going to end up paying $6,600 in interest. Now, if you have a lesser credit score, well, your rate's probably not 18%. It's probably something in the mid-20s. And that can just be a, a staggering amount. So um, in that case, it's kind of the difference between bad and worse. Um, but on other products, you, know, you could get a low mortgage rate or a low car loan rate, or you could be facing something quite a bit higher. So it's really important to improve your score, pay your bills on time, keep your debts low, look into those um, alternative systems like Experian Boost. That might be a good way to improve your score. And then also, if you need to just uh, clean up your credit score by uh, just eliminating a lot of debt uh, very quickly, uh, debt consolidation loans, do you, uh, do, do you uh, endorse them? Do you think they're a good idea or do you, wanna, or do you suggest uh, doing a balance transfer to maybe a, a lower rate card? I think a balance transfer is best because it has a 0% rate. And if you have good credit, so here you go again, the importance of good credit. Um, you know, if you have good credit, you can get one of these that lets you avoid interest for up to 21 months. Uh, if you have good credit, you could get a personal loan as low as 6% over five years. That's a good form of debt consolidation. If you don't have great credit, besides these strategies to work on it, Consider nonprofit credit counseling. Reputable agencies like Money Management International can get you into a plan that may let you pay off your debt over four or five years at, at something like a 6% rate. Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.